You wear your scars like Sunday best, like a six inch heel in a summer dress, like the beauty of the sun setting or a new day dawning, almost like a flower that's blooming. Look at that handful of tomorrow's knocking, possibilities mapped in the ground that you walk in, your radiance is haunting, there is flawlessness in the parts where your body is curving. Through you we see the glamour in breaking, in weeping until you cleanse, in falling until you dance, in giving yourself a second chance, in sending yourself love letters and then writing back, because that is how a godly woman breaks. You wear your scars like Sunday best. Hi guys, as always, shout out to Nolutanda Butelezi Poetry and Current Affairs for such a beautiful intro. You wear your scars like Sunday best. Drives me crazy. I nearly said crazy. It drives me crazy every time I hear it. Welcome to another episode of How I Wear My Scars. I'm your host, Zintlet Ulu, and I'm so excited. Today, of course, I get to share this beautiful platform, How I Wear My Scars, finding beauty and brokenness with women that have phenomenal stories about hope and healing, about finding beauty and brokenness, of course, and today is absolutely no different. I get to chat to a an amazing friend of mine um her name is ayanda mtunu and the title of her story is how did i get here right it's very very interesting if you listen long enough as always then you'll understand how she got to the point in life where she questioned how does this thing that i had never dreamt or imagined would ever happen to me how was it happening to me to me to me to me and you know she wasn't the only person asking herself that question people around her were asking how ayanda how did you get here and i think you know uh, at one point or another we have gone through things in our lives where we just were like is this even me like is this happening to me and that's you know such as life such as life and so one of the things that i think i took away from her story and learned is you know sometimes the question of how do you accept yourself when you've been rejected by the people that you've given your heart to or the people that you've trusted or the people that you loved or the people that you thought you know were for you how do you accept yourself when you've been rejected by those kind of people and maybe how do you even accept yourself when you've made mistakes um and 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 sort of felt like you've let yourself down how do you get up from that mess how do you get up from that rut and accept yourself again and give yourself a second chance i think that's what her story is also all about giving yourself a second chance after you've been through failure and again like me i think the one thing that we have in common is about failing in front of an audience how do you get up when people are watching how do you get up when people are talking how do you get up when people are questioning when people are pointing fingers how do you pick up the pieces of the mess in your life and then move on again to even greater things and she has such an anointing to tell the story actually i was i was just yeah I was just shook by how well that she told her story. So here we go. I am Damtunu. How did I get here? I do enjoy, guys. And remember, if you're listening from a platform that allows you to subscribe, please do so. If it allows you to leave a message or a comment, please do so. And please do spread the word of how I wear my scars to as many women as you can on your own social medias by sharing the link and just encouraging others to tune in on the various platforms as well. Stay blessed and enjoy Ayanda's story. And how did I get here? Ayanda's story. Sure, where do I begin? Um, yeah. And how did I get here? That's the question that I found myself asking September 2017 when I was admitted into a psychiatric hospital for depression. 
how did I get here? I mean, I was that girl, right? The one that never fell short of compliments. You're so pretty, they would say. Oh, you have such a nice body, I would get told. You're such an inspiration to many young girls your age. You've got a good job. You're a phenomenal preacher. And you're never really short of male suitors. I mean, I was that girl. And yet, that girl ended up in a psychiatric hospital, depressed and suicidal. What went wrong, many asked me. Like I under you of all people, Ganjani. I mean, you're so strong. You have a lot going for you. Some of my friends would say. And if you of all people could end up here in a place like this, then Tinage, I see worse. You see, there it is again. The pressure to always be strong. Like a good Christian girl that I was. I mean, what is depression? You see, I lived my whole life always trying to do the right thing at the right time. Even if it was to my own detriment. I grew up a typical church girl. Did nothing wrong. And was the pride and joy of my community. Because yes, I lived an exemplary life, I guess, in every way, according to them. Fast forward. At the age of 22, I was pregnant, out of wedlock. And yes, I did the Christian thing. Because, I mean, abandwazotini. You know that syndrome? Yeah, that got to me too. So there I was, 22 and married. Believe you me, there was nothing wrong with that. But what was wrong was the reason why I did it. Fast forward years later, I'm now a single mother. The relationship never worked out. Because what I've also learned along the way is that sometimes it is possible to do the right thing, but with the wrong attitude. And I've learned that through that experience, that there is no value in anything you do, if you do not know who you are first. At that point, minus the drama, my life still was good somehow. Fast forward again, years later, another failed engagement. In short, sacrifices were made, trust was broken. I was mad. Not at the situation, but more at myself. I have always talked about value, but from a cliche point of view, I guess. I have always talked about self-worth again, but again, from a cliche point of view. A lot happened that left me feeling devalued, broken emotionally and, and emotionally unstable. That for the first time in my life, I found myself questioning my own sanity. So September 26, 2017, there I was, admitted in a mental hospital, depressed and suicidal. Nothing much made sense, I guess. How did I end up here? I mean, I was stronger than this. And the stigma that would follow me after this. Like, guys, wow. I don't think I understood depression at all. There was a stigma linked to it, such as... You're an attention seeker, you don't pray enough, or this is all the devil's doing, you know. 
there's no such thing as depression, they would say. And some would even say things like, I this one, she's a psycho now. Again, this goes with the misunderstanding of what depression really is. And these are things that people would say, not understanding that their words have power. You see, I don't know what it is that you are lacking in life or that has stripped you of your dignity. But suffering from mental illness in whatever shape or form should not be one of those things. You see, after my stay at the psychiatric hospital, I have learned that while we might not have all the answers to what mental illness and depression is, but really it is okay not to be okay. It is okay to doubt yourself at times. It is okay not to know what you're doing sometimes. It is okay to not have it all figured out at times. It's also okay not to like yourself at times, to beat yourself up at times. But what is not okay is for you to think that just because life happens, your life ends there. You see, what I struggled with more than anything else, and that led me to the point of contemplating suicide, and thank God Almighty that it never happened, but I was at the contemplation stage, was that whatever I was going through emotionally, the emotional instability, the pain, the, 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 the years of betrayal, the thinking of the sacrifices that I made, you know, uh, feeling devalued, having gone through emotional abuse as well, within certain relationships that I'd also gone through, it all came tumbling down together and I think for me more than anything else the biggest challenge was I could not understand how a girl that seemed to have it all together strong sound-minded a preacher could find herself at a point of feeling like but none of this makes sense of feeling defeated I found myself at a point of feeling emotionally drained and I think the build-up of all of those emotions and frustrations and, and the fact that I'd gone through a lot of things and also going through, I mean, the first marriage and then a second engagement, you know, and the stigma that would then follow to say, but I couldn't wrong again, another failed engagement, you know. And, but more than anything else, I think what led me to that point is saying with Abantu Bazotini, because you see, I experienced everything on public platforms. And every time I would enter one relationship and then I would, and then it would lead to an engagement or marriage and then it would fall. It was always a public spectacle and everyone would know about it. And that got to me because I always wanted to be seen as the girl that has it all together. You know, I wore the right clothes, I put on the right makeup, I say the right things. And most importantly, to say, how do you, when you're so big on always advising people on self-worth and respect, find yourself in a place where you're questioning your own value, your own sanity, and emotionally you are so unstable that you even contemplate things like suicide. It was a dark place in my life. Hence, I said that more than anything else, I could not function, not because I was not able to function, but simply because I had allowed myself to think that I was bigger than life. I had allowed myself to believe that failure or failing at something defines me. And that was the bigger issue because I was good at articulating particular things. But when things hit rock bottom, I still wanted to hold on to my image with Abantu Bazotini. So the struggle was more internally for me of fighting to make things work, of fighting to stay in a place that was no longer suitable for me, of fighting to stay in a season that was no longer part of and parcel of my life, simply because I was concerned with Abantu Bazotin. That drained me to the T, that drained me to the core. And the build-up and the pile-up of that 
made me hit rock bottom emotionally and led to the point where I was no longer able to take care of myself physically. Um, I withdrew, had withdrawal symptoms. I would switch off my phone for days on end because emotionally I was not available for anybody and I was not available for myself as well. So prior to being diagnosed with depression, who was Ayanda? Ayanda was a very bubbly person. I was that friend that she could call at 3 a.m. and I would be there. Naturally, I was an outdoor person, always on the road, a born traveler, I would often say. You could never find me or pay me enough money to stay at home. So naturally, and I always say that I'm that person that comes alive whenever I'm around people. And during the time um, when I was diagnosed or prior to me being diagnosed, these are some of the signs or symptoms that I would say I had um, with depression. A persistent feeling of sadness. I had like this big black hole inside of me. I lost appetite, probably lost about 10 kgs at that point in time. Changes in sleep patterns. I was always asleep, but technically awake. I had low energy levels. I had lots and lots of crying spells. Um, continuous thoughts of suicide was something that was very prominent. Um, I was overthinking all the time. I became very antisocial from being the social person that I was. My phone would always be switched off for days. I would lock myself indoors for days at home. I'd probably go about three to four days at most at a time without ever bathing. My bed was never made. My house was a mess at that point in time. It's almost like I cared for nothing much. I lost interest in a lot of things. I was moody. This constant, constant uh, sense and feeling of hopelessness. I enjoyed isolation. I would go to the doctor every probably three to four days just to get a sick note for work because half the time I was probably booked off at work. So I'd always lie and come up with excuses about why I could not go to work. So I'd pretend to be sick. And mostly um, fatigue was also a common thing. So how did I get admitted into hospital or what led to me being admitted into hospital or the sequence of events for me being admitted into hospital, one may ask. You see, whenever I retell the story, I always get so emotional because I always say, if I have never believed there was a God, this made me believe there was a God. So this is how it played out. So I was in my usual isolation, which was my home, um, where I stayed, was basically an access controlled area. Now, remember that I said I always had my phone switched off for days on end. Now, on this particular day, I switched on my phone and I was on Google search. Practically what I was doing, I was checking for painless ways for one to kill themselves or poisons that one can take in order to end their own life as this is what actually I was contemplating at that point in time. And... The weird thing about this particular day is that out of all the days I have thought of suicide, this one particular day, I felt an urge to say it's not only a thought, but it's probably something I'm going to do. So while I was on Google search, my phone rings and I see that actually it's the front gate. And I answer 
and they say that Ntabiseng is at the gate. Now, Ntabiseng was a good friend of mine who I hadn't seen and spoken to in days. At this point, I'm stunned that how did she know that I was home? And how dare she drives all the way to my place without prior arrangement as she normally does. But in this instance, in order to avoid being rude, I just say, okay, it's fine, they can let her in. Now, again, look at this, the usual me, quickly I get up and I change into something more decent. Again, trying to put up pretense so that when she comes in, she'll probably think, oh no, she's okay, she's doing well. So she gets to my front door, I open the door and again, trying to put up pretenses. And I casually smile and I'm like, oh, I didn't expect to see you here. And she says to me, I under enough with the act. You are not okay. And then she says, how can I help you? Because I'm not going anywhere until we get you sorted out. And it is at that point that I started crying like a little baby. And I cried for a long time. And she said to me, she took out her phone and she she said to me, I am calling the psychiatrist's office. Uh, one that she knew and said, and I'm booking you in because you need to be admitted. You are not okay. And I cannot leave you in this condition. You know, the timing of it all was you're too perfect. And that's what I always say that if I've never believed there was a God, I knew that at that point it was a God ordained appointment now you know the weird thing is that as much as i was not in my right state of mind when i was admitted however what i did take with me in hospital was my bible and what i call my faith journal the first couple of days in hospital i was absent-minded i was lost i was confused i was mad And for whatever reason, I was also mad at God and kept asking myself, where is God when it hurts the most? I wanted answers and I wanted them now. I barely spoke to anybody. I ate, slept, and spent most of my time intoxicated by the medications they kept giving me. I did not understand how I got there. And at that point, I chose not to have family and friends visit me for the first week or two. It's funny though, because my reason was still that I felt ashamed for people to know where I was or why I was admitted in hospital. Probably about day 15 or so into the program in hospital, I started opening my Bible and documenting stuff into my prayer journal or my faith journal, what I call it. And I started to reflect for the first time uh, on my journey. At that point, I finally got strength to start praying And I remember most of my prayer was, I may not understand why I'm here, how I got to this point, why I'm feeling so empty. But for more than anything else, the one thing I did pray for was that I prayed for strength for what would follow, following my exit from hospital. Because I knew that the stigma, like I said, the judgment um, would follow me. How would people perceive me after this? Well, they still look at me the same. For whatever reason, I... 
judged myself harshly because I thought I was going to be a living contradiction or I thought I was a living contradiction for that matter. Because remember I said that I was always the one at the front giving advice, motivating people, providing counsel. And yet the very same person was at her lowest. You see, I always believe that my hospitalization into the psychiatric hospital became a defining moment for what for the next course of my life. You see, sometimes God does not have to answer the why or the why me questions that we often throw at him. But what he does is give us the strength, bread to eat and water to drink for the next 40 days ahead of us. Like he did with Elijah in the book of First Kings chapter 19. And this is a revelation or this is a book that I came across while I was in hospital asking God but why. And yet, I still got discharged, never understanding the answer of why. But what I did understand is that God was using that in order to shape the next course of my life. See, I don't know what it is that you are going through in life or what has stripped you of your dignity. But suffering from mental illness, believe you me, should not be one of those things. You see, if I could describe or define depression in my own words, I would say that it's actually an undescribable feeling of being alone even though you are not. I would cry and laugh at the same time. And worse was whenever somebody came and said to me, just think positively, you know, just smile and you'll be okay. I would feel like yelling because I would think you don't understand. I like something I read the other day from JK Rowling. And he writes and says that depression is so hard to describe to somebody who's never been there because it's not sadness. He says, I know sadness. And sadness is to cry and to feel. But depression is that cold absence of feeling. And I remember thinking, wow, absence of feeling. That is so deep. And I agree because you see, it is a very dark place. And what's even more exhausting than being depressed is pretending that you are not. And that is exactly how I felt most of the time. You see, here's the thing. I believe that as human beings, we can survive anything as long as we can see the end in sight. But depression is so intense that it feels like it is the end. And the thing is, no one gets to validate your pain. Because at that point, your pain is valid and real to you. Believe you me, mental health is real and valid. But that should not and does not define you. As cliche as it sounds, believe you me when I say that you are not your illness and you are not what you went through. And like I always say, it is okay not to be okay. You see, I was fighting not being okay. I always wanted to appear strong. I was very good at keeping up appearances for the sake of, again, with Abantu, Bazotini syndrome that I suffered from. And when I realized that I could no longer keep up appearances because I was not coping and yes I was affected and haunted by my first marriage failed engagement because again I was more concerned about Abantu Bazotin and in an effort to redeem myself and save my reputation I dug myself into a hole a further hole of depression because you see I was mad I lost it and I didn't see that I allowed myself to be a victim of circumstances and denied myself an opportunity to say, yes, I had a dream of living a picket fence happily ever after life. 
But guess what? Life happened. And I found myself just like a man called Elijah in the Bible, sitting under a broom tree and saying, God, it is enough. Take my life. Because you see, at that point, it seemed like it was the end, even though it wasn't the end. Listen, we all go through things that are beyond our control. But if I could encourage anybody, I would really say, do not give your past the power to define your future. And again, it is okay to say you are not feeling strong today. Be gentle with yourself. Because really, we are all just simply trying to do the best we can in this life. And even though life will happen at some point, you have to let go of what you thought should have happened and face what is currently happening. My name is Ayanda Mkunu. And how I choose to wear my scars today is by saying, yes, life happened. But my testimony is, I am not a victim, but I am a heroine of my own life. Because through the ups and the downs of life, I have learned the beauty of turning my ashes into beauty. Do not give your past the power to define your future. You are strong, you are valuable, you are worthy. And what happens in the process is necessary to shape the person that you will become tomorrow. But it does not define who you are. Today, I can finally say that through the grace of God, I have picked up the pieces. Not to build what I once had, but to build something new altogether. Today, I'm a motivational and keynote speaker a soon-to-be-ordained minister of the word, I'm flourishing in a new job altogether, and I found out a movement called I Needed To Be Me. My name is Ayanda Mkunu, and this is how I wear my scars. <laughs>